Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all here, and that includes those in the gym. It's exciting to see a full room here and a full uh, room in the gym as well. We are starting a new series this morning called Radical Community. We want to talk about what does it mean to be the church? What are our responsibilities in the church? How do we live together as a church? What is that supposed to look like? Well, obviously by our title we're saying it is meant to be radical. It is meant to be earth-shaking. It is meant to get the attention of the world. And we saw this actually recently in our series in John a couple of Sundays ago. Uh, When Dan Allen was here, he did that passage from John 13 where Jesus taught that we are to love one another, not just loving our neighbor as ourself, which was the original love command, but now loving one another as Jesus loves, which raised the bar immensely. And then he said that the world will know. By this the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that's where we want to park this morning in 1 John now, chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. I hope you'll uh, open your Bible or your device. And we want to talk this morning about radical love. This is where radical community begins. This is how we are going to put this new kind of community on display. First and foremost, it's going to happen as we love one another. So we're going to start by reading these verses. I hope you have them there, and, and I hope you'll follow with me. First John chapter 4, uh, verses 7 to 21. John writes this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love God their brother and sister. And Lord, we open your word today and we come to you with this request. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our hearts to see the truth that you will set before us today. And I pray, Lord, for supernatural and radical change in our lives, that you would make us more like Jesus, that you would cause us to be a community of deep 
and supernatural divine love. May you make that true of us here at Wallenstein Bible Chapel. Amen. A community of radical love. One of the first ways we see that in our passage is that John actually gives his readers a nickname. You may not notice it in verse 7. It's translated in my Bible, dear friends. And then we see it again in verse 11, dear friends. I want you to know what that word actually is. It's like a nickname that he's given them. It comes from the Greek word agape. If you've been around the church or you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard that word agape, that Greek word, which is known to many of us as the strongest, deepest word for love in the Greek language. It's the word that the biblical writers tended to use to describe God's love for us and the way that we should love God and each other. They chose the word that had the deepest meaning. Agape is sacrificial love. So now he's attributing to the believers that he's writing to, and he's calling them essentially agapeites, or agapetos. It's a nickname. It's a nickname that he's giving to the people of God. What he's saying is we should be so characterized by love that we should literally call ourselves agapetos. So we've seen nicknames before. I don't know if anyone here is a fan of the Green Bay Packers. But if you are, you're a cheesehead. I don't know why they wear cheese on their head. It must be something to do with, you know, over there by Milwaukee, they make cheese, I think. Or if you're from New Zealand, what's the nickname for people from New Zealand? Anyone know? Kiwis. Not sure if I like that one, but that's what it is. If you're a gardener, if you like to grow things, you are a, a green thumb. I've had to learn this one because my kids are crazy about thrift store shopping. So they're thrifties. And then, this one was really important for us, if you are addicted to pickleball, <laughs> you are a pickler, from what I understand. You would not believe how hard it was to find that photograph. <clears throat> and now you know that the preacher can get bored during sermon prep at times. Uh, it's a nickname. And this is the nickname that John gives to his readers. It's the nickname that God wants to give all of us. Now, some versions translate this word beloved. And it's true that we can be called agapetos because of how much God loves us. But I would say that it should be true of us because of how much we love each other. If you read through the New Testament, you will find this command over and over. In fact, we find it three times in our passage. This expectation that the people of God would be characterized by a deep love for one another, an agape love. So it is three times here in our passage. I don't know if you noticed it. It starts in verse 7 where the, there are these commands, these imperatives where we are told in no uncertain terms that we need to love each other. So you see it there in verse 7. Let us love one another. And then again in verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then down in verse 21, he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, I don't know about you, but to, to see this as a command almost 
feels like it undermines it in some way. Like if my wife demanded that I love her and, and that I chose to do that, it might not seem as important. But here we find it, in fact, it's all through Scripture. This teaching, this expectation from God himself that we should love him. In fact, I found uh, over 25 commands, direct statements in the New Testament where we as the people of God are told to love one another. It's not, I'm not talking about commands to love God or commands to love the world around us, commands to love each other. This is commanded in God's word. And at the very least, it needs to get our attention. One of the things we find in this passage is John begins, a, begins to give us a glimpse of what this love would look like. And what he describes is what I'm going to call a gospel love, so fitting that we just took communion. If we, if we ask ourselves, okay, so what does that mean? What does that look like for us to love one another? Well, look at the way that um, John describes it, starting in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. And then notice verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us. Does that sound familiar to you? It's the exact same phrase by the exact same writer, John three sixteen. for God so love the world. In other words, if, if, if we're wondering what it should look like for us to love each other, John has a very simple answer. Look at the gospel. Look at the cross. Look at God loving us. In fact, Paul said something so similar in Romans, that God demonstrated his love toward us in this. Remember the rest? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is the point? The point is this, that agape love is so deep and so amazing and so radical that you can pour out the deepest sacrifice for the most unworthy recipient. That's what happened in the gospel. The greatest lover pouring out the, the greatest love for the most unworthy recipients. See, this is why it is so radical. And the reality is that we make assessments about the things that we do with our lives. And the people that we might sacrifice for, we make assessments as to whether or not they are worthy of my time, of my money, of my sacrifice. The radical love that Scripture is calling us to is to not make those assessments based on whether I like you, whether you're like me, whether we have the same interests, whether you've done something for me. The only thing that matters is, are you a brother or sister in Christ? And if the answer is yes, God says, pour out the same kind of love that I poured out on you so undeservingly. It's gospel love. This is the radical love that should be true of us in the church. But then he goes on, and he helps us see this even more vividly down in verse 17, where he says, this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, and here's the answer, in this world, we are like Jesus. 
All right, so do you want, a, you want a more vivid picture of what this kind of love should look like within the church? What should we, what should we do? What should, who should we look at? We should look at Jesus. The love that Jesus had, obviously as he went to the cross, we've already seen that. Uh, the love that was there for, from him towards sinners. But then we also get to see that love lived out in his life. The Bible gives us four Gospels where we can read descriptions of the life and the ministry and the love of Jesus. And as we look at those descriptions and read about those descriptions, we need to understand that that we are called to mimic. In fact, Scripture tells us that if we're followers of Jesus, if we're saved, God's whole thing is to transform us into the image of Christ so that we take on his character and we take on his ways. And that should be true of the church. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. Because we are supposed to be so like Jesus. We're supposed to take on his characteristics and his, his deeds, so much so that we can rightly be called his body, his hands and his feet. And so we see Jesus loving his disciples in spite of their pride and their foolishness, loving the leper, meeting a leper on a roadway one day who says, Lord, if you're willing, you, you can make me clean. And Jesus goes towards the leper, the one that everyone else would run from, and laid his hand upon that man and said, I am willing. That is radical love. What is the most radical love you've ever seen in the church. I know I'm characterized by a humanness that causes me to recoil from some people. I'm not like Jesus in myself. I don't run towards those who are in need, people that offend me in some way or disgust me in some way. But this is the radical love we are called to. One of the most amazing stories I've ever heard took place in Northern Ontario in a small uh, brethren church in New Liskard. There was an elderly couple who was attending that church, uh, fairly new believers, young believers in, in a sense. They had been given the opportunity to, uh, in a sense, adopt a grandchild through children's aid. Uh, the parental situation wasn't good and so grandma and grandpa had the opportunity to bring, I think it might have been multiple grandchildren into their home to become their uh, in, a, in a sense, their parents. But these folks had uh, a few too many cats, not enough litter boxes. Children's aid came in uh, on one occasion and saw the condition of the home and the smell of the home and said, we're gonna have to take these kids. Two couples from that little brother in church went into that house with their cleaner and their rags I heard of one story where one guy got to go under the stairs where the cats were doing their business and multiple times had to leave the house and vomit, come back in and finish the job. It's one of the most radical stories I've ever heard. Many of us hear it and say, well, that's disgusting. Didn't want to hear that at church today. But ladies and gentlemen, that is what we're being called to here. Listen to, listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians as he describes agapetos and this loving Christian life that we all have been called to, he says to them, I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. Is that what we can say? 
I almost want us to, you know, stand up and look around this room and look around in the gym and look at these people, so many of people sitting here, brothers and sisters in Christ, chosen to join themselves and unite themselves to this church. We are a family, and we are called to radically love one another. That is the will of God for us. That is our calling. Well, there's something really challenging that we need to notice in this passage, and I'm going to use this little image of a chain, and I want us to see uh, what John is doing in this passage as he not only challenges us to love one another, but what he ends up doing is he ends up using love as a kind of test as to whether or not we are actually even truly united to Christ as his people. So you might see it in this way. Think of the chain on the left, the link on the left is me, the link on the right is Jesus, and the link in the middle is this reality of our love, particularly for other believers. And what John is going to say to us is that if you truly have love for one another, that's proof that you're linked to Christ. It's proof that Christ lives in you. It's proof that you live in Christ. That's important in this letter because the whole purpose of John's letter here is that people would know, that they would know that they have eternal life in Christ. So the whole point of 1 John is that John is giving his readers reasons to be confident, reasons to be assured. How many of us have gone through that reality of, boy, I I don't know if I'm really saved. I mean, I've prayed to trust Christ, I want to trust Christ, but I struggle with assurance. Well, that's what 1 John is about. He's trying to assure us in the reality of our faith. And one of the ways that he does that is in this question of our love. So notice notice how he does this, verse 7 and 8. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, at one and the same time, that is extremely encouraging and extremely concerning. If you're like me, I'm just saying, there are times when I have seen and sensed God providing me with a supernatural love for his people, and then there have been times where I lack it. And yet, John's going to say it again in verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if... We love one another. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And he's going to say it again in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And then we see it again in verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. This is serious. And so I I would say for us right here in this moment, as all of us are being confronted by the word of God, by the imperative here we're finding in this passage that as Christians, if we're genuine Christians, we are to love one another, no questions asked. But the reality is that many of us in this room, including me, recognize our lack of love and that we fall so far short of the love of God and the love of Jesus. 
So here's what it's saying, of course, right? Is that if we don't love one another, the link, the evidence that I am connected with Christ is gone. It's not there. It's broken. So the question is this. As we hear God speak through his word, through his apostle, and we hear him say, love one another, if you're truly my children, you will love one another. If you don't love one another, you're not my children. What is our reaction to that? Because that's really the test that, that this, that's, that's going to boil down here. What is my reaction to that? If your reaction to these verses is to kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, poof, I thought I was saved by faith. That's all that matters. And I can tell you there's a lot of people here I don't want to love. Sorry, I wasn't looking at anyone over here particularly. <laughs> Is that how you react to this? Or maybe you're like me and you, you say, yes, Lord, it is true. This is what I need to do. This is, this is the right thing. You have loved me so much. How could I possibly, in turn, not love the people that you love? So you might be like me, and you might feel some conviction here, and you might realize you fall short, but your heart is to grab hold of Jesus and say, yes, Lord, make this true of me. But if you hear this and you shrug your shoulders and you don't care and you have no conviction to do it and you have no concern as to whether you're actually linked with Jesus, my concern for you is are you truly saved? My hope would be if you recognize that in yourself, you would realize I gotta take this seriously. We examine ourselves, exactly what scripture calls us to do. Examine yourself, are you really in the faith Paul wrote to the Corinthians? That is a good and healthy thing for us to do. All right. Finally, if this is true, if we are to love one another with this radical love, how can we possibly do it? So I want to finish with a few uh, verses here, examples of how we do this. We're not just a community of radical love. We are a community of supernatural power. To be a follower of Jesus is to live a supernatural life. We are called to live a supernatural life. Now, we're not a charismatic church, but we should be charismatic in this sense, that when I get out of bed on Monday morning or any day, the things that God has called me to are beyond me. They are supernatural. That is why God has sealed us and given us his Holy Spirit to enable us to do what in the flesh, in our humanness, we could never do. So as we come together, as we gather as a church family, as we gather in small groups, as we live in Christian community, we should have this expectation that God provides supernatural resources for me to do the things that I should do. The biggest question becomes whether I will step out of my comfort zone and step out in faith and say, yes, Lord, I want to love others with radical love. You're going to have to provide the resource to do so. God says, I can do that. And John shows us all through this passage the reality of how God does this. We saw it in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. 
We're going to see in a moment we can love because of the Holy Spirit living within us. And what's the first fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, it is love. And what that means is when God asks you to love somebody, he's not asking you to find it in yourself. He's asking you to find it in him. And he's given himself to us. He's given his spirit to us so that he himself provides what we lack in our humanness and in our flesh. Love comes from God. Now, there's a few aspects about this. Obviously, as a resource, love comes from God. We see John emphasizing all through this passage that we love because he first loved, right? So we can love because God first loved us. But the other aspect of of this that I think is important is that we learn to love as we look at God's love. The more we come and gather and share communion together and reflect deeply on the love of God, his sacrificial love for a sinner like me. The more we meditate on Jesus touching the leper and all of the ways that he so sacrificially loved people, the more we gaze on the beautiful love of God, the more likely we are to exhibit that love as he transforms us through our gazing upon him. Love comes from God. Same verse. John goes on to say, everyone who loves has been born of God. Right? So here's the evidence. Love is the evidence that you have become a believer or that you're saved. And John emphasizes again uh, just what he'd emphasized back in John 3 of his gospel, and that is that we must be born again. To follow Jesus is to require and to receive a new birth of spiritual life that was never true of us before, but God makes it true. He resurrects us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but to trust in Jesus is to be born of God. And this life that pumps through my veins now is literally the divine life of Jesus. And so I can love because of what he's done in me. And then in verse 9, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live. There it is again. This resurrection power. Jesus rose from the dead to be the conqueror over our sins, but to be the first fruit, the first one to rise from the dead. And because he's alive, now we are alive. We have been resurrected with the very same life of God. This is supernatural. It's his life within us. And then as I mentioned already, we see in verse 13 the promise of the Spirit. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. These are the supernatural resources that we have in the Christian life. My question is this. Are we done with shallow Christianity? I want to just honestly share with you one of the reasons that we're doing this series we talked uh, among elders and staff and with our teaching team, what is it that we need as a church? One of the things that I was hearing in the spring was that for some people, there is um, a sense of a a lack of freedom, uh, a concern that I can't be myself, that I can't express myself in worship the way I want to. So, of course, I inquire about that. Well, why would that be? And the answer that I heard was, well, it's because There's the perception that people will judge me. And I said, okay, well, you just mean that's like a perception. Like people think that other people are going to look at them and judge them 
No, 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 it, it means that people will. Really? Like, you mean people, like, what do you mean by that? Well, like, people will go home at lunch, and they'll, they'll talk, and their family, and their relatives, they'll make fun of people, they'll criticize. I said, no way. No way. And I had two people who were very plugged in and involved here and say, yeah, I hear that all the time. At best, that is shallow Christianity. At worst, it's not Christianity at all. God has called us to something so much more beautiful, so much greater than that. I want to be done with shallow Christianity. I don't want to be part of a church that plays games. And church for me is I show up on Sunday and I get to see my friends. God has called us to something so much greater, so much deeper, so much more beautiful, so much more impactful if only we would choose it. I'm done with shallow Christianity. How about you? And if that's true, then we do this. We choose to obey God's word. We choose to love God's people sacrificially and here's one of the things that we see in these verses you might be sitting here thinking well I, I just haven't experienced the supernatural reality of God in my life and what is John saying he's saying then love choose to love look at verse 12 no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God lives in us haven't you seen this haven't you experienced this that when God invites you and calls you to give sacrificially or to serve sacrificially and you're, you're afraid to do it and you feel weak to do it, but somehow you get out of your comfort zone and you say yes, and then what do you experience? You experience the reality of God in your life. He's there, just like he said he was, just like he promised the power of God is there in my life. And look at verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love, whoever lives in love lives in God. You want to experience God in your life. You want that supernatural reality to be true in your life. You want to get up tomorrow morning and find that God is with you and he's doing amazing things for you. Then start here. Choose to love. Choose to sacrifice. And you will find God is there. Are there any opportunities to do this around here? Oh yeah. In fact, look around. Every person that you will see here on your way out of this building this morning, and hopefully you won't rush away, every person you will see represents someone who has some need to be loved. Maybe to be encouraged. Maybe to be helped financially. Maybe to be exhorted. But every person in this room, in the gymnasium, represents a person who desperately needs the love of God through brothers and sisters. And the opportunities around us are endless. If you're debating in your own mind right now, should I help in the nursery? Then all you gotta think of is this. How much of a blessing is it to that young mom who gets to have an hour, an hour and a half, sitting in worship, focusing on God, 
while you take care of their child. What a blessing. Amen, moms? That's love. Last I knew, Julie was looking for five more volunteers for kids' ministry. Is that a chance to love? You bet it is. You get a chance to love that child, tell that child the good news about Jesus. What an awesome opportunity that is. We get the opportunity to pray for each other. No one else even needs to know about that one. We can just do it in the quietness of our, our homes. We can do it as we drive. We can do it during our quiet times. And we take those minutes or even longer. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. That's love. When we give financially to the church so that we together as a church family can support our missionaries and support the expanse of the gospel around the world. That is love. We are loving the lost in other parts of the world. When we, when we give and help Brock with his ministry, I asked him this morning, he didn't ask me to say this, but he's a few thousand short of what he needs for this nine months. We have an opportunity to love him and to love the people that he will minister to through him. The opportunities are endless. Let us radically love one another because we are a radical community of the people of God and we want to see God do radical things through us. So let's start right here. Love one another.